All right, we're rolling. Hello and welcome to All of the Above. I'm James Brown. Thanks for joining me. You can support my work at jamesbrowntv.substack.com or by liking, sharing, and subscribing. This is a show where we discuss ideas, big and small, with people doing fascinating things, like today's guest, Steve Vanderwall. Am I pronouncing that right, Steve? You are. Steve Vanderwall, that's right. He's a serial entrepreneur and host of Cannabis Cum Laude, a show about, you guessed it, pot. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to see you again. Great to see you again, too. Which came first, marijuana or business? Uh, business, actually. I It goes back about 10 years at this point, man. I'm getting old. Um, I finished up my MBA um, maybe like 2015 or 2014 and got the entrepreneurial bug. Um, I started with in men's clothing, doing subscription e-commerce, men's t-shirts, tank tops, stuff like that. Very basic, uh, non-branded clothing that transpired into a couple of things over the years, consulting, you know, I was in that point as an entrepreneur where I was trying and failing and trying and failing and just had all these ideas. And that's just kind of this, that's what you do. You know, you, you just kind of grind it out until you figure it out until something sticks. And, um, you know, probably like six years into that journey, I started learning about this new molecule called CBD. You know, it came with the emergence of the 2014 farm bill, uh, which legalized hemp as a, uh, commodity agricultural commodity um and what we realized is when you grow hemp which is really just marijuana with less than 0.3 percent thc in it it grows inversely high in a molecule called cbd cannabidiol um that was the new hot cannabinoid and kind of funny right around that time i was taking a whole prescribed regiment of pharmaceutical drugs to manage anxiety and insomnia and depression. And uh, it was really doing a, a number on my brain. Um, started to have mental health issues. I just had started to kind of spiral in a downward direction. And right around that time, I had a friend who was a nurse practitioner who had gotten, you know, kind of an early jump in the CBD industry and said, hey, you know, there's this new cannabis molecule uh, out there, you should try it for sleep. It's, you know, it's early research, but this is something that people are saying they're using for sleep. So sure enough, I started using it. And within just a little over a month, I was able to take myself off a of 90% of the pharmaceuticals I was on and had really no negative side effects from it at all. And I spent the, the year after that really diving into the research of what exactly was a cannabinoid you know what are all of these cannabinoids and molecules and how do they how do you grow them and how do they you know uh, become you know what they are in the cannabis plant and understanding the endocannabinoid system in the human body and it was this whole universe of knowledge that i was just becoming familiar with and uh you know after i you know spent a whole year really learning and understanding i launched my cbd business nestiva which was really a company focused on um, health and wellness and creating and blending, you know, kind of combining the worlds of herbal medicine and cannabis medicine together to uh, create natural products. 
And my one about that point when I was there, I always knew that the final transition was going to be into THC. Um, I obviously didn't really know when that was going to happen due to the nature of, you know, we were in the midst of still legalizing in New York State. And obviously the rollout of the licenses has been a, a bit of a debacle. Um, but going back to our, our conversation that we had before we went on air uh, back in September 2021 is when I, start, you know, officially made that transition from CBD into THC and launched Vandy's, which is my craft cannabis brand. Um, and really that's been my only focus now, um, along with the podcast, but, you know, at this point it's really developed into this amazing brand. I have an amazing team of people, uh, and now we're in the process of raising capital and preparation to secure a micro business license, which I'm hoping is going to happen in the next few months. So it's been, congratulations. thank you. It's been a long road. It's, I mean, it was 90. 90% 90% struggle and figuring it out and trying and failing. But, um, you know, it, I guess I'm, you know, I'm no different than anybody else, no smarter than anybody else. I just kind of was stubborn and took a risk and wasn't going to let anything, you know, knock me down. And years later, I, you know, Vandy's really blossomed into this amazing thing. So, yeah, it's been quite a ride, James. It's been, uh, There are two threads I want to pull at out from your your soliloquy there that I, I find really interesting and could help help us as we, we pull apart this conversation. Sure. Let's start with the entrepreneurial bug. You chose to get an MBA not because you wanted to become an entrepreneur or because you wanted to become an entrepreneur. No, to be honest with you, I never ever anticipated owning my own business. I never, it had never even crossed my thought once. I never had even planned on going to business school. I was a neuroscience undergrad at U of R and I had only ever taken one economics class in my undergrad, which I got a C in. So I never thought I was even going to be ripe for business school. I was way behind. I didn't, I never thought that was the direction I was going, going to go in. When I got out of college, I realized that, you know, really know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be in the natural sciences. And my mother, you know, said, maybe you should consider business school. And I kind of went back and forth and hemmed and hawed on and said, I'm not qualified, blah, blah, blah. And um, I ended up doing it, kind of really enjoying, you know, getting into the Simon School, really falling in love in the program and actually wanted to take a, um, uh, a finance route. I had applied to do some of my you know, financial tests, my series six, my series seven, so I could be a financial advisor. Um, And in that process of studying of those tests, I started doing some marketing for a startup local clothing company. I was working on my own time. I had a lot of creativity. I had a lot of freedom. And it was really at that point that I knew that business ownership was, you know, that's what I was cut out to do. But it was never my intention at all. So, as you're 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 getting a sense of through your your education of of what business could be like and and working for this startup, what were what were the things that drew that that drew you in that that grabbed you about it? You know, it's 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 funny because you can go to business school and you can learn a lot of things. You can learn about finance and you can learn about strategy and you can learn about corporate this and branding and all that but there's a 
big difference between business and entrepreneurship, right? Entrepreneurship is a character trait, in my opinion. Um, anybody can be an entrepreneur. You can have a ton of education. You can have no education. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter any of that. You know, it's, it's a feeling. It's a character trait. Um, and what brought me, you know, I've always been a creative, but I've never really known how to express that. I have no really artistic ability, drawing, painting, singing, definitely not. I was a mediocre trombone player. I've never really had any ways to express myself artistically. So I never really thought of myself as any sort of an artist. But the reality is, is I found myself being able to express myself creatively through business and through uh, building relationships and building brands. That was something that I always had kind of stuck on was, you know, my first ever taste of entrepreneurship was with a, a fitness clothing brand. And, you know, it's, it's much more than just a, a, a color scheme and a logo. It's a feeling it's a, it's encompasses the entrepreneur. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I didn't really know at the time what field I certainly never imagined in a million years, I would be in canvas. I didn't even really I wasn't even really a huge cannabis user growing up, you know, here and there. I, I, I Alcohol was always my voice of choice. Um, but it was the freedom. It was the ability to express myself. It was, I was in control, you know, and maybe I kind of think I'm a little bit of a control freak now, but, you know, I think you can, I don't know. It was, it was, it was everything about it. It was a whole new lifestyle that I was always growing up. My family worked nine to five. My, my relatives, they worked nine to five. I didn't really know much about you know anything else besides get up, go to work, do your thing, come home, have a couple hours a night, do that till you're 65. And then you retire and, you know, right off into the sunset. I didn't know anything else besides that. So when I started to realize like, wow, there's life out of this rat race grind and not knocking that at all. It's not, you know, all bad, but as soon as I got a real taste of freedom, I was hooked and I don't think I could ever go back. It's control. It's freedom. Control over your destiny, over yeah. your days. What do you mean control over what? Control. Yeah. All the above. I mean, if I, time is very valuable to me, it's the most important thing. I think you, you know, it's the most valuable thing that you have and something that you can ever get back. And I wanted to make sure with the limited time that I had on this planet that I was doing something meaningful and something important and something that I liked. And, um, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, I wasn't working a nine to five, so I wasn't putting the hours in, you know, I was working quite frankly, I feel like I've worked 24 seven for the last 10 years. You know, it's, you get to a point where, that's just how your brain works and your brain, you know, my brain's be become re real rewired to look at businesses and situations and, you know, things differently. I look at the world much differently than I used to 10 years ago. And uh, I just think that's helped, you know, it just, I'm a product of my experiences. Now I'm a product of my successes and a lot of failures, more failures and successes, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really rewarding thing. And, um, I don't know, I, I feel like, you know, I find myself when I talk to my friends and, you know, who may be going, you know, through the woes of a current job, like, you know, people don't get that there's life outside of that. And, you know, I'm living proof that if you really want something bad enough and you're willing to put the work in and you're willing to get beat up for a while, 
you can pretty much have get any have any life that you want you know if it, it's you just got to put the work in you also described entrepreneurship as a character trait and a feeling can you articulate what you mean by feeling and and what what uh um and and what exactly is the trait? Is it is it th that you are carrying that weight all the time, uh, and, and, or or is it something else? Well, what I've realized in the last couple of years is that there's big difference between a business person and an entrepreneur, right? An entrepreneur is very much, it's a like I said, a feeling. It's a characteristic, right? It's it's a it's. An entrepreneur, I think of some of the great, greatest entrepreneurs, you know, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, you know, guys who started in their garages and started with nothing and just ideated and, and, and built and, you know, went back to the drawing board. And, you know, it takes a certain type of person to, you know, get dragged through the mud for over and over and over, you know, chasing something you really believe in. But, you know, I really found that with uh, cannabis that, you know, once I got my itch, once I really, you know, found that passion, it became an obsession to me. And it, it became, you know, my first year, you know, I've been in the, at this a long time, like I said, 10 years at this point. And for a, the first six or seven of those, I was really an entrepreneur. It was all about what's the next creative thing or what can I build? It wasn't about, okay, is this idea even viable, right? Is this going to be a profitable business? What goes into this, right? All the, the back-end technical stuff. Throughout the years, as I realized, like, you know, you kind of have to have a split balance of that entrepreneur and that business. Like the business, the business side kind of grounds you. Um, so I think, you know, in my opinion, I think, you know, successful and and to to really be able to take something to the next level, you have to be a combination of both. You can't be all entrepreneur. Cause you'll find you'll end up you know for me i was just driving blind for years chasing the newest shiny thing or the next idea and it's not all it's not a bad thing right it, it's it's all steps to the next process or the next thing but if you don't you know like i said you only have so much time on this planet if you're not being smart with okay is here's an idea is this viable yes okay then what are the steps to go here if you're not conscious with all that, you're going to spend a lot of time spinning your wheels and wasting time and taking two steps forward and one step back. So, you know, long story short, I think, you know, as I've gotten older and a little wiser, I guess, with a little more experience under my belt, I've realized that it really is a 50-50 combination of that creative, you know, go-getter entrepreneur side, but also that you know, more rational, more pragmatic, more business side. And I think if you can balance the two is, is going to be a really, you know, it's going to really increase your chance of success. You spoke highly of your, your time at the Simon school, getting your MBA in hindsight, 10 years out. Was that necessary? Definitely. I, uh, I think that it was one of the best decisions I ever made was to go to the Simon School. Um, I it was so I didn't know I wasn't a straight A student in college. You know I like to have fun and I kind of dicked around a lot and I didn't do great. Um, but I also had a hard time relating to the material and I didn't find it super interesting. Um, when I got to business school, it was much more practical and real world. Like the things that we were studying were actually happening. It was real. 
I could see it and I could, it, it was, it was real to me. It wasn't theoretical. It was real life examples. Um, and a lot of the things that I learned in business school, you know, you can, you're not to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to go to business school. Like it was, I got to learn about the technical side of business, which I think everybody should experience. Do I think it's necessary to be successful? No, but I think it surely helps. You know, if you're looking at this, this lifelong path of A to B where A is where you are now and B is, you know, success, having things like an MBA or coaching or a mentor is just going to get you farther along that path. Are they necessary? No. But when we talk about time and a finite amount of time, every day is valuable. And I do think it is important to make sure that that journey from A to B is most efficient. Uh, and I definitely think, you know, my MBA from Simon School um, was a catalyst for that and has really helped me in the long run. You also spoke about your health and sleep in particular. Were you, were you always having sleep problems were the, or, or, or like, was it a, a lengthy period where you struggled with it? I'm a bad sleeper myself, by the way. You know, it, it wasn't. It was, I was um, given an Adderall prescription in my late 20s. And I do think that I've always struggled with ADD, ADHD, and I do have a diagnosis for it. I was never diagnosed in high school or college, so I never really had access to medication except the stuff that I took from my friends. So after I graduated, I ended up just going to the doctor and saying, listen, you know, I've been taking ADHD medication for my friends. I'd like my own script so I know it's safe. Sure. So I started taking, you know, Adderall and man, it did help me focus. It helped me get more done in a day than I could in a week without it. But I started to have a lot of problems sleeping. And that led to a trazodone prescription. So yeah, I was studying during the day and trazodone was knocking me out. But man, I had a hard time getting up in the morning and I started to, I don't know what it was about the combination of that dr those drugs, but I started to feel real depressed and down. And then they layered on a Zoloft, you know, prescription. Wow. So I was taking a whole bunch of Adderall and Zoloft and Trazodone on a daily basis. And it, it, it did a number on me. Um, sure. So no, so no, I haven't always been, had issues with sleeping, but in that period of my time when I was, you know, taking that prescribed medication, I was having a tough time for sure. And the cannabinoid helped you get off those medications or get off some of those medications. What, 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 what did you mean when you, 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 you mentioned that? Yep. So the, the first night that I started taking CBD, I started breaking all my prescriptions in half. And within 40 days, I was able to take myself off all the tra off all the trazodone and all of the uh, Zoloft, and I went from 30 milligrams of Adderall a day to about 10 milligrams of Adderall a week, uh, and have never looked back. Uh, I full transparency, I still do have an Adderall prescription, which it's maybe five milligrams a week when I really really need it. Uh, but in terms of prescribed pharmaceutical drugs, I'm all nat all natural, baby, for the most part. Um, I pretty much, you know, just what p kind of pissed me off about that whole thing was there was never a question of, was, how's your diet? Are you exercising? How are your relationships? How are your stress management? It was, well, how much Adderall do you want? Well, and then you want this next pill and then here's this next pill. 
It was never about how are your lifestyle habits? Are they causing these issues? Which they were. And that's, you know, in my opinion, a lot of the time, poor lifestyle habits are a main driver of mental health and, and issues like that. And being in the cannabis industry and starting to look more at holistic health and wellness and understanding, you know, having a better relationship with food and exercise, you know, in conjunction with supplements and cannabis and CBD, you know, I've really built fitness and wellness into, you know, as a pillar in my life and in my business. And I think, you know, I always try to preach to people, you know, cannabis, there is no such thing as a silver bullet, anything. And I'll be as the biggest cannabis advocate in the world. Cannabis is not a silver bullet. It's not going to solve all your problems, but it can surely help. And it can definitely help if you're doing other things in your life that are going to have a positive effect. Diet, exercise, meditation, all these other things, you know, that in conjunction with cannabis can definitely make your life better. No question about it. By itself, if you're look, looking to, to cannabis to solve all your problems, it's not going to do it, unfortunately. What did the doctor say about your turnaround? Um, well, you know, I kind of, after that happened, didn't really have much of a relationship with that doctor anymore, especially because any conversation about cannabis was quickly, um, written off. Not enough research. Can't talk about it, but here's all these drugs. And I'm certainly not the only person to have this type of conversation with a doctor experience with a doctor. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ragging on modern medicine or Western medicine. I know I have a lot of great friends that are doctors who are really good doctors and, this one in particular, I think was a bit old school and a little bit blind to a lot of the research and a lot of the realities of long-term effects of medication and positive effects and medicinal effects of cannabis. And I think he was just one of those old people that it was his way of the highway. And it's, you know, it's not FDA approved. I want nothing that I don't want any, I don't want any part of it. So I have no hard feelings. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm certainly glad not to be um, taking those medications anymore because they really screwed me up for a while. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of you with your business and, like you said, working just about every day for the last decade. And yet, yet on, on the other, on the other hand, you, you, you said that you're you're also keeping a balance, making sure you work out, making sure you're active, you're eating right. I would think that'd be pretty hard to do with a startup in that kind of lifestyle. Even if you have control over your days, even just like starting a new podcast alone, it's sort of like it's there's a lot that comes to it. You're trying to get it in front of the right people. You're trying to 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 get guests and, and create content of your own. There's a whole yeah. lot to it. And it's not to the scale of having your own brand as you do. Help me understand how you manage that balance. Well, if there's one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is that putting systems in place and learning to delegate responsibilities will help you find balance. You know, for the longest time I was doing... I was doing all my podcast. I was finding all the podcast guests. I was recording the podcast. I was writing the podcast. I was doing the social media and all the promo. Then I started Vandy's and I was growing my own weed and I was, you know, selling my own weed and making my own edibles and doing all this. And 
running my delivery business and doing all this stuff. And at some point, things start to fail because you're only one person with so many hands and so many time hours in a day. So luckily over the last, you know, I've been in business now about a year and a half. Um, I've been able to, to make some really significant hires and put people in place, uh, you know, people are systems and put people in place that have helped me manage A, B and C portions of the business and podcast. You know, I hired an amazingly talented social media girl in the last six months who is responsible for all the great social media content that's coming out of the podcast. And without her, you know, I've been, I have like 160 podcast episodes, like hundreds of hours of content that I wasn't doing anything with. I was just posting once a week, new podcast is up. I have you know, all this potential to make, but I just didn't have the time. And now that I found somebody to do that, more content's been coming out. We've got way more eyes, way more listens, boom, system in place. Now I have more time. Same thing happened with my delivery business. Same thing, you know, so I've been able to, you know, put some really competent and talented and trustworthy people in places that can help me run the show and now even run it better than I'm doing it, which allows me to have that balance where I can, you know, I don't ever believe in work, work, work and not taking care of your health. You know, your body is the only thing that, you know, you get one body, one piece of meat for your whole life. You got to take good care of it. So I don't care if you're working like a dog and making 10 million bucks a year if you're not care taking care of your health and you die when you're 45 was it worth it my book. so you know i uh, and i learned this from a, a you know a business mentor of mine carl gold who's one of the smartest men i've ever met in my whole life and one thing that he taught me was system you got to put in good systems in your business and systems are people and once you accomplish that you can scale you can start to get back more time. Um, and sure enough, as soon as I started doing that, um, my life really changed for the for the better. Well, no, no, I'll back up a, a moment. What would you say to someone who, who's just starting out, even someone like myself, you know, I, I'm, this is uh, who, who would say, man, you, you've been successful. You failed a lot, but you figured out your way. And you have these systems, you have this fast growing podcast and, and this, this brand that's booming. What do you say to someone who is aspiring to be in, in your shoes, whether it's in the pot business and out, or maybe, maybe a, a general advice and pot advice. Honestly. It sounds so cliche, but it's the truth. You just have to keep going. Like if you're passionate about something, okay. And I, I don't like saying talking in cliche because we hear a lot, but there's a lot of truth to these things that we hear. And the reality is I am no smarter than anybody. I was not handed a silver spoon. I did not have any head starts. I'm just a regular dude, James. I am literally a regular dude from Palmyra, New York. And I, you know, I, I have a, I'm just regular, right? All I, the only difference between me and anybody else is that when I started this, I told myself that no matter how hard it got, I'm not going to quit. And I promise you on day one, when I started that t-shirt business, I said, if you're going to do this, you can never quit. However, whatever it turns into, however it develops, you know, I've been broke, broke, broke. I started my first business 
with $2,000 to my name and $95,000 in student debt and just an idea. And over the next couple, you know, I, I had $0 in my bank account for like five years, like always living in the red, always, always, always figuring out just to keep my note, my head above water, right? I was treading water for years. And there's times I wanted to quit. There's times I'm like, dude, what am I doing? Am I ever going to get here? I always get close and then I take three steps back or something happens or I run out of money or I'm not feeling like I'm getting the support. Did you face that shit all the time? It's, you know, you got this inner voice saying, you don't need to do this. You can quit. Go get a cushy nine to five job and live happily ever after. I had to talk myself off a lot of leverages over the year, James, and it's not easy. But as, you know, somebody who's starting out, it doesn't matter if it's cannabis or podcasts or t-shirts. If you love what you're doing, then do it. And then when it gets hard, just keep doing it and just get yourself wired that no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how fucking broke you are, no matter what, you're not going to quit. Because I promise you, I promise you, and you can ask anybody that's been successful. There are people who are a billion times more successful than me. They'll tell you the same thing. Just don't quit. You know, I started listening to guys like Jocko Willink, who is a Navy SEAL, right? These guys are the most elite humans in the world. And some of those guys, they didn't come from, you know, they didn't come from a, a you know, some ex- amazing gene pool or they weren't growing in a Petri dish. They're just regular men and women who were put through the gauntlet and never quit. Same goes for entrepreneurship. You want something bad enough, you want to be a Navy SEAL? You better make it through Bud's training. If you want to make it through entrepreneurship, you better be okay with being broke for a while and having nothing for a while and missing. I missed out a lot of things in my life. I couldn't, you know, I never drove a nice car. I never went on fancy vacations. I never had expensive things, but I didn't care. So I knew that there was plenty of that to come in my future. I just had to stay focused and I just had to stay driven and motivated and never quit. And, you know, my road was was a long road. It was like, nine years before i really started to see success some people are shorter some people are longer but if you want it you just got to keep going and you got to stay focused right the other thing about entrepreneurship especially with me it's easy to get shiny object syndrome right new idea pops in your head something creative a new opportunity and that's great that feels good to have that but you got to stay focused because pretty soon there'll be times in my life you know five six years ago right at five six 50% projects going at one time. You know what happens, James? None of them get done. And then you're like, oh shit, I didn't get anything done. I'm a failure. No, you just try to do too much. Now, my focus, Vandy's podcast. Anything else? Just noise. And there will come a time where I start looking at other opportunities, but I say no a lot. Warren Buffett that says, you know, there's there's an art of saying no and having control and learning to say no. I was a yes man my whole life. New idea. Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, you want me to do this for you? Yeah, I'll do it. You're taking away, you're taking away my time, my brain capacity, my, you know. So it really is about two things. From my own experience. Perseverance. Don't quit, ever, no matter what. Do you want it? Because let me tell you, you quit one time, it's over. Then it'll be easy to quit a second time. And then if you, there's just no going back. So as long as you tell yourself, don't fucking quit, you won't quit. And you'll get there. Second of all, you have to learn to stay focused. Okay. Eyes on the prize. You want to be a professional podcast? James, you focus on podcasts. You wake up, you think about podcasting. Throughout the day, think about what are you going to do every day that's going to make your podcast better? What am I going to do every day that's going to make my pop brand better? And that's it. And then once you get to a point 
or you can put systems in place. Maybe you hire somebody to take over the all of the above podcast, or maybe you hire somebody to do, you know, rec- uh, recruiting the guests or doing the production. Now you got a little bit more time. Now you can focus on project B. But until you can get those systems in place for this main project or this main goal, stay focused. And I'm telling you, you combine both those things, perseverance and focus, you can get there. I did it. I'm living proof that a regular dude, average dude, can get there. Well said. Well said. I want to, and I want to pivot to your podcast because I, I, I find this it, interesting. It's an interesting deep dive, right? You, you are, yes, you are, you, 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 uh, it's the classic, um, um, narrow and deep. You've talked to people for, as you said, 160 hours about marijuana. Are, are there lessons that stand out from you? Are there episodes that stand out to you? Man, a lot. You know, I honestly, the podcast has just been one of the best experiences for me because I love learning. And the thing about cannabis, I'm a firm believer in the, the most valuable people in any industry are those who know the most. And I knew that, you know, there's so much to learn. I learned, I've been studying this industry every day and pretty much only focused on cannabis for the last four years. And James, I'm telling you right now that every single day I still learn something. This is a brand new, this is a new universe. And it's completely, you know, for the most part, unexplored. So for me, I get to kind of kill two birds with one stone as, hey, I get to talk to some brilliant people for a hobby. I get to ask them whatever I want. I get to learn from that. Every time that I'm getting, you know, I, I don't know if people realize, I get to sit down and get a one-hour lesson from a really smart person and ask them whatever I want, whatever's in my brain. What do, what do I want to ask them? And second of all, I get to build relationships with these, these amazing people. You know, podcasting, as I'm sure you can attest, it's a great networking and, mar- and networking tool because, it, you know, every episode, you know, hey, can you maybe introduce me to somebody who you would think is really valuable or, hey, I know somebody from another episode that you should talk to. Maybe there's some synergy. Um, so absolutely, every single time I learn something, right? And I always, the cool thing about the podcast is like, I'm asking people and having conversations about things that I'm genuinely interested in. It's not just, oh, let's create a podcast and shoot it just to have content. No, all these episodes, every episode I've ever done has been intentional, right? What do I want to learn? What's relevant? What's prevalent right now? Um, you know, and it just so happens, you know, when you do that over and over, you can create a ton of content, you can build it, you know, a, a, a great large network. Um, and it's just been a really, uh, fantastic platform for me and my personal brand and obviously the podcast and, you know, uh, my cannabis brand, but really it's been a great platform for my guests. You know, I can't tell you, I've had a countless opportunities where, you know, a friend of mine who, you know, for example, was a start, you know, starting out a cannabis lawyer. And after the podcast, a huge opportunity fell into her lap. She got a little bit more visibility. You know, for me, I love helping people. I love helping people. And if I can, you know, have a podcast and I get to ask a bunch of questions about things that I'm interested, interested in, and it turns into something great for them, doesn't get much better than that. New York and marijuana. You're not the first person to tell me that 
boy, they fumbled it so far. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, and I, uh, it's been fumbled, it's been fumbled and fumbled again, and it's so frustrating. And I try to be positive, but it's just been this could have been so easy, James. This could have been so easy and so well executed. And literally, it's rare that you have an opportunity where everybody wins, right? And I'm not just saying that as like honky-dory, positive Steve, everybody wins. No, there is a real opportunity for small business owners and business owners in general in the industry to win. There is an opportunity for consumers to win. And there was an opportunity for the state to win in terms of social equity and, and tax generation and all those things that they wanted. But fault to anybody's the OCM the office of cannabis management people throw a lot of stones at them and it's not Chris Alexander's fault it's not Tremaine Wright's fault it's not anybody's fault right this is nobody's fault that's a complicated job but the reality is, is this is not unique to cannabis New York is exceptionally bureaucratic and it's in the name of democracy right which I, I understand but every regulations package needs a 60-day comment period, followed by a 60-day comment period, followed by a 45-day comment period, followed by it's been over two years since the bill passed, and we got six dispensaries in the whole state of 9 million people. We got 250 farmers, eight dispensaries. There's a lot of people that are going to get hurt from that. There's a lot of people like me, really qualified, established business and brand, businesses and brands sitting here for two years watching from the sideline wondering it's been legal but it's not legal for everybody when are we going to get our turn and rather than figure find you know the state finding people like me and saying hey steve i lost you steve oh sorry are you are you back i'm back sorry somebody called me no worries Shut the camera um and you know we're two we're over two years past the 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 rollout of the industry and listen james i would understand if we were the first to second market and we were fumbling our way through being a first mover You're, that's okay then we can make mistakes but it's been 15 other states before us that have legalized and that's 15 case studies that we can look at and say hey that worked really well that didn't work well like over taxation and over regulation and you know blah 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 Back in my advocacy days, when I was at Albany, in Albany every other day, talking to the Congress people, talking to the senators, saying, "Avoid doing this because these states did it, and it's been catastrophic." You know what happened, James? They did what they they did what those states did. So it's like we we had this opportunity. It was a, a, a on a, a on a served to us on a golden platter, and it's been. That's probably the most benign way that I could say it is that it's been fumbled. Um, I'm still optimistic. I think that we will. S there's so much pressure on the state right now. And quite frankly, 250 hemp farmers who are going to be SOL. These are the same people who had hemp licenses, who got kicked in the teeth for three years and lost a lot of money. They were given priority to the first round of growing licenses which I agree with, right? Give them an opportunity to maybe put some food on their tables and maybe salvage a little bit of all the money that they lost. 
but now you got 250 farms which is let's call it 250 acres of weed which is probably i don't know 80 million in weed an agreed a crazy amount of weed and eight dispensaries and the majority of these dispensaries are selling all the same product so what's going to happen you got 90 percent of these farmers who are just going to be they spend all their life savings com- money on compliance license staffing they're six seven months down away you know, they're seven months you know all the product that they now have for sale is seven months old and sitting in a warehouse that's hard to recover from so it hurts people like the farmers which means if there's no product then there's no product to go to the license processors it hurts them and then it hurts the dispensary owners and it hurts the brands and businesses like me who are ready, able, and willing to go, who have capital, who have real estate, who have staff, who have SOPs, who have everything. We're just sitting here on the sidelines saying, when's it going to be our turn to participate in a market that is supposedly legal? But rather than even any talk about them, I haven't seen a single article about a micro business license barely any comments on it, but we're seeing all these articles day after day. Ooh, another crackdown. Fines are coming. Arrests are coming. Drug war part two is coming. How does that make any sense? I can hear the frustration in your voice, Sarah. I I, I, um, I got the sense just as, first as a journalist, covering it and and just as a resident just watching that the state tried to reinvent the wheel but uh, but at the same time i hear from you that they just repeated a lot of the same mistakes that uh, they saw that we saw elsewhere as my um my are my observations about trying to reinvent the wheel correct i'd say so i mean well, one thing that we know for a fact is that, and this isn't it really at all the state's fault. A lot of it is due to the nature of the Schedule One status at the federal level and issues with taxation and blah, 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 is that over-taxation and over-regulation is the Achilles heel of this industry. And we've seen it in California. And, you know, for the longest time, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, we thought that a lot of this industry consolidation and downfall of the small craft farmer was a byproduct of the large corporate multi-state operators coming in and crushing everybody with economies and scale and buying up all the distress distress licenses and wiping out the small farmer. That is happening. That's not why it's happening. There's a step before that that we're not talking about and that we weren't talking about, and that is over-taxation, over-regulation, and high barriers to entry make it very difficult for small businesses to survive. There are some that do, but for example, I'm going to be applying for the smallest license, right? The micro business license, which has a cap of 3,500 square feet of flowering canopy, right? That's like a good sized house. That's not a lot of square footage, right? Shouldn't be a huge barrier to entry build a facility that meets the compliance standards that is all equipped $1.5 million. Now I'm lucky enough where I've been in business for a long time. I've made a lot of good connections. I have been in the raising capital process. I understand how it works. I was, I was formally taught about this process of business school and I'm somebody that can 
probably go out and raise this money and have, have raised this money. But there's a lot of people who've been operating in the legacy market, great people, hardworking people, been doing this a lot longer than me, that may not have all that information or knowledge on how to go raise $2 million to build a building and understand the tax liability or even how to structure a deal that's not predatory to them. It should be as easy as if I can start a little garden or a fruit stand in my backyard, or if I can start, you know, a home haircutting business or any sort of business, why can't I do that with cannabis? This is a business where people have been making a living for decades in garages and in their basements. You don't need 50,000 square feet and $50 million in investment capital to win in this industry. Quite frankly, that's a one-way ticket to losing. It, it, super high startup costs are going to kill people. It's going to drown out businesses. Why can't my my buddy down the street who's got eight lights in his basement and makes his own hash rosin out in his garage? Why can't he why can't he operate? Maybe he'll only ever make a hundred grand a year, but that's all he wants to make. Why does he gotta go out and you know pay fifteen grand for a license and you know raise all this money and go through all this stuff? It's a huge barrier to entry. You know, they've been preaching from you know the top of the hills that this is about small business and craft business and social equity it's not james it's not it sounds good on paper and it sounds great at press conferences and it sounds great in articles but the reality is this is not about small businesses this is not about social equity is this about bureaucracy what what, what is it about uh, in my opinion, it's about extracting as much tax dollars from an industry as possible. I Man. mean, the cannabis industry is look is being looked at right now, like gambling, like a way to, uh, improve the, you know, the States and the federal government's financial position. It makes a lot of money, but now it's at the expense of the business owner. It's at the expense of the consumer. And really the only, you know, there's just been a lot of lip service, I guess what I'm saying, and a lot of things that were preached and a lot of things that were made to seem like focal points of this industry, small business, craft, social equity. When in my opinion, I think it, it was all smoke and mirrors because at the end of the day, why the one, you know, I've built pretty much my entire platform on as a micro business advocate because I know that the micro business license and one's ability to vertically integrate on a small scale is where the industry is going to win. I mean, you've driven down Seneca Lake or Cayuga Lake before, right? Winery, mm -hmm. winery, winery, brewery, sure. winery, winery, right? Sure. hundred of them. And they're all thriving. They're all small. They all have their own niche. They all have their own products. They're all collaborating in some way, shape, or form. And they're driving a ton of agritourism to the area. And they're small. Some bigger than others. Why would cannabis be any different? Cannabis would be... You know, we, the margins on cannabis compared to wine are night and day. So why wouldn't, why wasn't that the first step? If it was really about small business and all that, why wasn't the micro business the first license to come out? If you really wanted to get legacy operators and small businesses in, why was that license not out yet? Why isn't it not out now? When is it coming out? Nobody knows. I try not to get frustrated. I try to, you know, be positive and, and try to be optimistic. But, you know, I sat back and I've been doing this for a long time. 
and I keep hoping that it's going to be, you know, maybe you know, I just feel like I've been spending my last four years waiting, sitting back and waiting for nothing to really happen. So I'm hoping that that's going to happen this year. I really do. There's rumors going around that we're going to see this license in September, and I'm 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 hopeful, but it, that hope doesn't come without significant um, and well-deserved frustration. I'll I'll ask you a lighter question: pot, weed, marijuana, cannabis. Do you have a preference on the word we use for it? Cannabis. And why? Cannabis. Um, well, first of all, you know, the word marijuana does come with racial undertones, um, racist undertones. It's just something that we've learned. You know, the term marijuana was used to stigmatize, you know, black culture and Mexican culture. And even though most people don't even realize that and they just use the word marijuana because that's what they grow up, they grew up with. There's really no, a lot of people, older family and friends of mine and, you know, people that are younger still say marijuana. They're not saying it with racist intentions by any means. I know that for a fact, but you know, as the industry develops, our language needs to develop too. And I just think if we want to be considered, you know, a legitimate industry, like anything else, we need to, you know, use language that helps us get there. So I always tell people, you know, cannabis is definitely uh, the word, my word of choice. Any famous last words? Um, no, I just, uh, I really appreciate you, you know, covering the industry as well as I have over the last couple of years. It's been great getting to know you. I'm so pumped for you that you got a new show and I feel really honored that you invited me on here. And uh, um, man, I just, I hope you crush it in your new endeavor. I really do. Thank you very much, and 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 I thank you for coming and and for your kind words.